you know, there's going to be so many factors um, in baseball, pitchers, you know, are they right-handed, left-handed? Um, like there's going to be so many factors like that. So population and position specific is important. And then the, and then if you're looking at change of, in asymmetry over time, because you maybe maybe you've established they have an asymmetry and it's something you want to address. Let's say you're dealing with a wide receiver and he does a lot of high speed running and you see a 16% asymmetry left directionality. Let's say it's left limb, you know, there is coefficients of variation on each limb or below that and you say this is a real asymmetry and that magnitude it concerns me and there's established directionality it's clear that this person has a left limb uh deficit in hamstring force production and i think i should intervene so let's say you intervene you do oscillatory isometrics you do whatever your your program is you do some some single leg work you're eccentrically loading um eccentric rfd type loading whatever it is okay my intervention point and i would say a standardized intervention of something you've already come up with on a card you can attest the effectiveness of your intervention okay fine you see change in that asymmetry we go back to the same thing in that if you're testing that change has to be greater than the coefficient of variation to know that the change was real and not just error and so let's say the change was six percent and the coefficients of variation were nine percent eleven percent well you don't know if that was real change or just error in your measurement or normal biological variability so that so that change has to be greater for you to be like okay yes this was real change and this asymmetry was was addressed and and reduced and i know that because of the uh my my change was greater than the variability that you see in the in the measurement Hearing you talk about that made me think about how often in research there is a control group, but typically within athletics, there never is a control group. How can we work within that in athletics to make our testing better? Oh, um, yeah, I I think uh, it's really fundamental in a lot of the things I've mentioned. I, I think first and foremost, we have to know is we have to be able to standardize how we do things as well as well as possible so things we've talked about like having a method for how we test so that we know that when we're testing it's as high quality as like as low variability as we can get because ultimately we want to detect a lot athlete monitoring comes down to one big piece that it comes down to is detecting real change when it occurs and understanding the magnitude of that change we always so much of the discussion when I talk to folks is meaningful change, you know, and which if you look at that, how it's defined and, you know, whether it's Mike McEwen or whoever resource resources, you go to how that's defined is the, the smallest amount of practical importance or clinical importance. Okay. Which is generally tied to some type of effect size, generally 0 0.2 being the smallest if you're, if you're in that world. And so, um, all right, fine. Well, you have to understand, can we detect real change? And that comes down to, can we collect reliable information that's going to be able to tell us when things change? Okay, whether it's fatigue, whether you wanna test, if you're a strength coach and you're testing, I wanna see, did my guys get faster and more powerful? Great, that's awesome. That's, thing, that's information that, that you should have, but it's gonna come down to how well can you collect that information to be able to see did they get better over whatever block you're looking at or whatever time period you're looking at if you're doing pre mid post over the course of a spring 
and or winter training football let's keep it in football world you're going winter training preparing for spring ball and you want to know are your guys getting better based on your program and the and the um the outputs that you're trying to get from your program then you're going to test across these phases and you're going to look in at specific metrics based on what you're trying to improve in that specific block during that specific microcycle mess whatever your program looks like and so with that is going to be how well can you test that are you if you're doing you know 20 yard accelerations and jumps are they giving maximal effort are you are you collecting that information at, at a time period that's the same and comparable across each of those time points are you queuing them the same way to get the same type of output from them in terms of the mechanics and in terms of their effort in terms of how they're performing the actual movement the actual task and so i really I think that's what it boils down to because we're never going to have a world where we get the control group. We're never going to have, it's never going to be perfect. And that's, that's, I saw this the other day. I, I'm not sure who tweeted it out to give credit, but I saw this somewhere. It was like applied sports science is really, you know, trying to, um, to bring information or, and I'm paraphrasing here, bring information or bring some clarity in a chaotic environment and the complexity and the, and the chaos within our environment is is what makes our job so fun it's problem solving and trying to tease things out when nothing's nothing's the in the most ideal or optimal state nothing is perfect you're not in the laboratory people are not going to do exactly what, like you're trying to come out and get information to help inform decision making in a chaotic environment where variables are constantly changing and you don't know what's going to be thrown at you day to day and that's what makes your job that's what drives you nuts but that's also what makes it fun and and you're coming in there like what problems do i get to solve today what how do i get to to try to help prepare prepare our athletes better how do i help serve our athletes better how do i help bring information to coaches in a in a more efficient and effective manner in this environment that's what makes it in my opinion anyway and for me at least that's what that's what i i think makes it so fun and and challenging no one you know you don't you love you love being in those challenging environments where you're trying to to figure things out and you're in your problem solving and you're you're trying to and from a scientist standpoint like i've been in labs like doing you know i've been in the perfect laboratory settings and clinical settings in my doctoral training and my you know um in, in graduate school and things like that and i love it but i what makes it this this setting so fun is that you're trying to test the effectiveness of something you're trying to to pick out change you're, you're doing testing in in non-optimal conditions and you're problem solving you have to think outside the box you have to think with how can i bring scientific scientific method and how can i bring ideal testing and measurement into a, into a situation where it's you know you're out on a field in the rain trying to collect information <laughs> like i mean i've I, there's been all kinds of uh, thinking back to things like you know and it's i just I, I, that's what I love or a part of what I love about, about, you know, being an applied sports scientist. Taking a quick break from the show to tell you about our deal we have going on right now in December. If you sign up for Fundamentals Level 1, you will get one free year at Strength Coach Network. That's right. Sign up for Fundamentals, our 20-hour long-form education course that has information on every topic in strength and conditioning that will make you a better strength coach, regardless of the field that you're in. 
Not only if you're a strength coach, personal trainer, athletic trainer, physio, this is for you because all the education about progressions, regressions, motor learning, speed, agility, jumps, you name it, we have information in it. So sign up for Fundamentals, get a free year at Strength Coach Network. Click the link down below. Let's get back to the show. <clears throat> for anybody Sorry, I, I went off on a little. I oh, went off on good. a little. Please don't <laughs> apologize. Not at all. That's why we had you on the show. Uh, for anybody that is, you know, new into the field and they're starting to learn more and more about this uh, applied sports science roles, what would be some suggestions for anybody that wants to dive down that rabbit hole and do more and more with it? Like, because it is becoming more and more, um, more and more of these positions are getting hired. How do you recommend somebody go down that path? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, I will say one thing. There's not like a one way. I think looking at you know, my colleagues across, um, you know, the NFL, different sports, applied sports science, like come from many different backgrounds, whether it's some are strength conditioning coaches like myself. I was a strength conditioning coach. I came from more of a strength conditioning background in that I was getting academic training, but I did strength conditioning internships mentored under some older school strength coaches um, that technology was a stopwatch. And um, yeah. and I learned so much from them, though, that I think still helps me today uh and it was nothing from how operational technology but just from like understanding uh how to deal with with things that aren't ideal and how to deal with athletic environments and sporting environments and how to integrate things within uh strength conditioning so i credit learning a lot from those individuals but i i think um if you have an interest in in applied sports science you what, what's what's great is that People think you need technology or you think you need a catapult or whatever it is to, to do sports science or whatever. And that's just not the case. So I think whatever setting you're at, you can start understanding and applying. I mean, if you're a strength coach, you're, you're a type of sports scientist. You're, there's already incorporating sports science, understanding the physical demands of your sport and trying to prepare your athletes for that. So I think first and foremost, like trying to um, uh, uh apply different concepts, measure things within your own environment and bring more of the scientific processes into whatever environment you're at. Great resources are obviously there's um, the NSCA Essentials for Science text. It's kind of a, it's a good base manual of just giving you a very broad understanding of different concepts and things within um, sports science broadly. Um, um, uh, monitoring athletes' performance. Mike McEwen um, is another excellent foundational textbook that goes over the basics of statistics, the basics of um, of uh, load response monitoring, um, concepts like that. Um, so those are some great resources. I think just um, reaching out to people too. Like there's a lot of great applied sports scientists out there. I think reaching out and just uh, having conversations. Um, if you want to, if, if this is where you want your career to go and you're, let's say you're a strength conditioning coach now, or you're an intern in strength conditioning or whatever it is, um, or you're a student, uh, in strength conditioning, I think really being able to start learning broadly across a lot of different areas, uh, initially. So learning S and C. So if you're learning a little bit about basic statistics, understanding how, you know, what's for all the way from like, we know you know, okay, basics of understanding means and standard deviations. So measure measures of central tendency and variability, and then understanding like basic regression, um, understanding some of those basic techniques, understanding research methods is a big one that I think oftentimes doesn't get discussed as much. So, um, you know, basic research methods textbooks that 
uh, to just understanding, um, you know, essentially how to measure, test and measure, uh, and then, and how to establish appropriate uh, applied research questions, and then how to um, go about answering those in a way that provides the best information. And I can give, you know, I can provide, I don't know if you have show notes, I could potentially give you some references if people are interested that they could look up. Um, but then also from there, I would say um, there's a lot of great internships, a lot of great experiences available um, to uh, now that weren't there even three years ago um, to where you can get great experiences uh, in terms of interning. I would say that if you're at a university or, or at a place where, let's say you're a strength coach at a place that doesn't have a sports scientist, um, I would just start doing sports science where you're at. And um, I, I know that that was that was a little bit of how I, I got my first full time job in sports science was I was basically doing my Ph.D. and and um, and started being a sports scientist at the, at, you know, at Virginia Tech. And I was literally going door to door to people. I was interning as a strength conditioning coach and ended up. But I, so I could coach on the floor, which is a great way. If you are a strength coach, you can already bring value in a maybe a more understood way. But then if you can find that you're bringing value in other ways, that's sometimes how you how you get that first job is it's created because there are a lot of jobs out there, but a lot of places don't have them. And a lot of times those, that, that first position they have is created out of a situation where someone starts doing the work. And then eventually it gets recognized um, and it gets titled that generally a place isn't a university. I'll speak specifically to universities. Generally, they aren't creating the role and then doing a national search for that individual in that first sports science position. Most of the positions that have been created um, in collegiate environment, again, I'm speaking specifically collegiate here, has been have been created because someone started doing the work. And then that became a dual titled role that became they transitioned into that role, whatever the case was, um, as opposed to, oh, we need this position from administration. And then they do a national search and go hire someone. Um, and so I think that's that's a big one, wherever you're at, starting to do the work, because um, that's that's a that's there's no better way to start, in my opinion, um, with that. And then finally, I would say that that. Um, you know, being, um, you know, just uh, being up to date in, in research across a lot of different areas um, and understanding uh, different concepts from different areas. I, you know, I love strength conditioning. I love weightlifting. But if I live just in the, the weightlifting strength training world, uh, it wouldn't, it, it would ultimately um, make me very narrow minded in my view. So I think being reading across a lot of different research in different disciplines and understanding whether it's biomechanics, physiology, sports psychology, um, reading, reading literature um, regarding different instruments and testing um, rehabilitation type stuff. Like uh, I think that really helps round you out um, and give you a lot of great, a great insight and um, into different areas and, and create uh, linking information across different disciplines, because ultimately as a sports scientist, you might be housed in strength conditioning, whatever the case is, but to be, to be really good at your job, in my opinion, you have to really be able to go across disciplines 